Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hi, everyone. So years ago, my wife and I were invited to attend an event called the Green Ball. One of the celebrations in D.C. is part of Obama's second inauguration. So, you know, dressing up, dinner, dancing. As it was winding down, we found ourselves in the street looking for a taxi home. People everywhere, nothing available. My wife in heels, 2 a.m., the three miles to our flat in Capitol Hill was a bit too far to walk. What to do? Well, I had a thought. How about I try this new app I'd downloaded a few weeks prior, Uber? I did, and a black Lincoln town car showed up a few minutes later to take us home. It was perfect. You know the rest of the story. The app, the business model, turned out to be a game changer for so many. Okay, so think about your first time hearing about or using Uber or Didi or Netflix or Amazon Prime or Deliveroo or WeWork or any other business model that's a departure from what you're used to. Did it solve a real problem for you? Did it save you money or time? Or was it really just fun to use? Today, we're going to talk about new business models. Specifically, new business models being applied to a domain I personally haven't given much thought, my monthly electricity bill. James Sprintz, head of decentralized energy for BNF, came into the studio to talk with Dana and me to give us the story on what's new in retail electricity. Full disclosure, I really wasn't prepared for just how interesting this conversation turned out to be. It's based on a report called Company Profiles, New Residential Retail Models by Michael Kenefick. BNF clients can find it via a quick search on BNF.com, BNF mobile app, or BNF Go on Terminal. Please note that BNF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and you can hear a full disclaimer at the end of the show. I'm Mark Taylor, here with Dana Perkins, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNF podcast. James, welcome. Hi, nice to be here. You've titled this note, Company Profiles, New Residential Retail Models, and um, I'm not going to lie, the, the title's a little bland for what is a pretty spicy note. So <laughs> we're going to get in here. that as a compliment. Yes, and the reason... Um, I really like this note is actually, so we as a business, a little bit of backstory, we write these focus areas every year, these big questions that we think that our clients are asking about changes within the industry. And actually what's happening within the utility sector from a residential retail model has come up again and again. What I'm seeing in this note is maybe, and you can tell me whether or not I'm right or wrong, but maybe we're actually seeing some of this change that everybody's been talking about, saying we know it needs to change, but we don't really know what to do. Suddenly, there is a lot of disruption in the space with a lot of different companies looking at various different business models, which you're trying to tease out here. Am, am I making this up or is now the time where suddenly there's all this movement? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that has been bubbling up over the last couple of years. But today, we can definitely see in a number of markets globally, um, a whole load of new companies coming to market that are trying new things. The UK is a very good example of that. I mean, the number of companies selling gas and electricity has um, grown dramatically over the last four or five years. 
but it's also happening in Australia, um, certainly happening in Japan. So today really is a time when rather than just talking about this stuff coming down the pipe, there's a lot of examples to point to. And what we really wanted to do with the note was look at some of the companies, but it's almost that the companies aren't really the specific point. It was more using those companies to highlight that there are these different models and each one of them is kind of doing something different and trying to develop new ways to actually sell electricity to people rather than just saying we're going to charge a dollar per kilowatt hour there's you know many different models that you can use to do that and i really think it's kind of a replication of changes we're seeing in many different industries around the world where people are you know pricing services in a different way and and that's kind of what a lot of these companies are trying to do do you think you could simply explain what some of these different business models are? Because one of them I see in there is all-you-can-eat, so they're your electricity buffet. Yeah. But what else is there? Yeah, so the all-you-can-eat is the most simple one. It's basically you're paying a fixed fee every month. Um, benefit for you, I guess, is eliminating any kind of volatility in your bill, um, but you pay a premium for that. So you're basically put all, all your kind of risk in how much you're going to consume. That's now shifted entirely onto your supplier, so they're going to charge you more for that. But there's an upper bound, right? I'm not going to be able to start mining Bitcoin on it, am I? Well, it actually depends. I mean, so some of the companies do have um, kind of fair use policies, they'd okay. say. Um, and so Origin in Australia, um, which is one of the big three energy suppliers there, they're actually one of the few examples we found of a kind of an incumbent trying some of these new things. They have fair use policies, and I think it was something like 5% of customers they ended up um, kind of moving off that that tariff because they thought they were violating that. Some of the other companies actually don't do that. And, you know, they're saying they're able to manage that risk through, I guess, the way that they're trading in the market and things like that. But yeah, cool. so that that's the simplest model. One of the more interesting ones is what we've termed wholesale pass through. So that's essentially you're paying, you know, a fixed amount per month to the company. I actually was doing this in, in New York where I live. As was, a customer? As a customer, okay. yeah. So paying what worked out is about a dollar a week to this company. Um, and then everything I paid on top of that was um, the wholesale price for power, ignoring the kind of transmission distribution charges. We'll put that aside for the moment. So there's a couple of different companies that are trying that. Some of them, the one I'm doing in New York, they're really just using the day ahead price. And, you know, that's not that sophisticated. But some of the companies are using real time market prices. So the idea is that they're getting rid of kind of a lot of the overheads and margins that you're paying to supplier. So your total bill should be cheaper, but it could be very, very volatile. Um, and so, you know, depending on which market you're in, it could be a really cold winter, a really hot summer, energy prices go really high, and suddenly your bill goes through the roof. So that's it's kind of like the opposite of the flat fee. You're, as the customer, taking on a lot more risk. And completely depending on time of use as well. Yeah. So you would then theoretically be incentivized to turn on your washing machines, for example, either overnight or maybe midday when everybody's yeah, in the office. Exactly. And so, you know, there's a company called Gritty. That, that was actually the first one we heard of doing this a couple of years ago. And we did a short case study on them. Um, which was really the the idea for doing more on this topic for this note. And they try and send alerts to customers through a mobile app and things like that to kind of try and change people's consumption in response to prices. And what a lot of, you know, the different companies we've seen who are doing this is more and more of them are trying to kind of integrate um, smart home technologies with what they offer. You know, if this, then that. Is that something you guys have heard? I mean, that's basically a... IFTTT. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so kind of a 
I guess, how would you describe it? I mean, it's a basically... It's a, it's a website that takes internet actions and lets you create rules around them. Exactly. So you can kind of get a device in your home to turn on or off if the price is yeah. X. And so more of them are trying to push that kind of thing. I think we're at the very, very early stages of that, partly because not that many customers have enough devices in their home that are going to be able to make use mm. of that. And I think that the companies are just really beginning to get their heads around kind of what the, the potential of that is. But that's kind of the, in principle, the direction of travel. So you've outlined two yeah. kind of competing business models here that are competing with what we currently have, which is it's a little bit variable, but it's variable on a daily basis rather yeah. than on an hourly or a flat fee for the month basis. So my question is, are you going to see all of these competing in the same locations all at once? Or are mm -hmm. you going to see different regions kind of having ones that are taking over, but maybe they're differing from region to region? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, we already are seeing different versions of this competing in the same regions. And I would expect that to continue, I think, by the same suppliers? Potentially. Um, so far, because in this note, we're predominantly looking at startups, a lot of them have focused on one particular model. Mm -hmm. And they're deciding to do you know, that particular approach. And maybe they offer two or three tariffs, but they're all kind of variations around the same idea. And I think when you think about those two different models, and there are other ones that are more related to distributed energy that maybe we can discuss a bit later. But if you think about those two extremes, they're really appealing to two very different types of people. So on the one hand, you have someone who wants the fixed fee. That's someone who's really totally uninterested in the dynamics of the energy market but re and really just wants stability. And they want to pay a monthly subscription for something, which there's a number of services you now get in your home where you're doing that. Why shouldn't it be the same for energy? So that that's kind of that customer. The other extreme is someone who is much more engaged with their energy use potentially or thinking about what's going on in the energy market or maybe just someone who's very, very price conscious and there is for is willing to modify their behavior in response to that real-time wholesale market signal. So I think I fall definitely in the former category. <laughs> but it seems like you're much more of an experimenter. Like, you know, this is what you do for a living, really, yeah. I mean, is test this stuff out. So you said you're also a customer of the wholesale pass-through model. Yeah. Do you test out other models? And the sub-question to that is, do people really care enough to change their model to, to take advantage of these things? Yeah, I mean, I think I am skeptical about a lot of these models because of that consumer apathy, because I don't think I'm a good representation of most people. I actually work <laughs> in the energy sector, so I'm interested in testing these things out. I don't think most people care enough to want to go on to a tariff that requires some kind of level of engagement. So that's why I think the kind of smart home integration piece is quite important, because you can imagine a scenario in which you have en enough devices in your home. And, and let's say you're actually someone who maybe has an electric vehicle, a large load, um, potentially storage in future, although obviously the number of people with that today is very low. And you can move on to this model and you don't really need to think about it because it's all happening behind the scenes automatically. It's changing how you use energy to, to maximize the value for you. But we're pretty far away from that being the reality for, for most people. So to me, I struggle to see there being widespread adoption with these kind of real-time models because it's complex and confusing and it yeah, requires a level of interest that the reality, you know, the one thing we do know about energy and how people interact is that people don't care. Um, I right. think everything we've seen in the kind of home energy management market of different smart devices is that you get some traction, but the majority of people just simply do not care. I'll agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds very negative. <laughs> well, you already have price comparison sites and people 
probably spending too much. I I always t- think to myself, like, I should go on one of those price comparison mm. sites. I never do. I mean, it's a really important thing, right, that, like, in a lot of markets where there is competition and people can choose their electricity supply, which is obviously not the case in um, everywhere, it's, it's actually relatively, in the UK in particular, it's incredibly easy to switch your energy supplier, yet a large number, if not the majority of people, are paying too much money and they're on the wrong supplier. And so I think that is just a very strong indication that most people are not going to be interested in moving to these new models because, you know, if they were interested, they, they could have done it already. Um, Is it a question of getting the incentive right? Like the gimmick? Yeah, I mean, well, I I mean, actually, you know, one of the things that is interesting is that in the UK, there are, as I said at the beginning, a number of new energy suppliers, not all of them trying these new models. I mean, a a lot of those new suppliers are selling energy in the traditional way. It's just they're selling a lot of maybe a lot of it is renewable. um, And, you know, they have better branding. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them are growing pretty rapidly. And, you know, Bulb is one that um, a lot of people are familiar with that's growing very rapidly, a number of other companies as well. And I think that's because people may not be engaged with energy, but they're pretty unhappy with their incumbents. And I think there's a level of Mm -hmm. dissatisfaction, basically, with the status quo. And so not all customers, um, but I actually think probably a younger segment of customers who are used to having services that they buy that work fairly seamlessly, can be done all online, um, are easy to use, and they expect that level of quality from any service they procure. And so kind of unhappy with the utility sector that has seen, I guess, has been slow to, to move in that direction and can seem old fashioned. Okay, it feels like, you know, the things that would entice me to go to a new provider would be like 100% clean energy or something like that. But it also seems like these new business models are ones that you could run off electricity made from whale oil, right? It, it really just doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Is this more of a product story or is it a clean energy story wrapped in it? Yeah, that is a great question because for the most part, I think it is, as you termed it, a product story. That said, there are a number of these kind of new models, and they're actually the ones we haven't talked about so much, which are very much focused on kind of distributed energy. And what they're Uh really trying to do is tie up the fact that more and more customers are adopting solar, potentially buying electric vehicles, and then design an electricity service around that rather than you know the status quo obviously if you're a utility selling electricity you don't want your customer to be buying um rooftop solar for the most part whereas these guys are saying okay we recognize people are going to be doing that what what would be the right way of pricing electricity for that customer if they're going to be doing that anyway so that's where you get the all you can eat things like that yeah but also it's more that like there's a couple of models we looked at where they're kind of basically essentially offering you a solar lease for your rooftop system, uh-huh. you know, it's 10 or 20 year lease. And then wrapped in with that is a long-term electricity supply contract. So that you're, you're they then become your electricity supplier for the lifetime of that that rooftop system, 10 or 20 years, depending on the, the specific model. It's basically and, a home PPA. Yeah. And, um, and obviously that as them, they're locking in a customer for that amount of time. Um, and then kind of one of the more interesting ones in, in my mind is, um, companies that are kind of essentially offering storage and selling energy storage to a customer. And along with that, they're saying, in addition to buying that storage system from us for a certain amount a month, we will basically become your energy supplier. And what they are then doing is you have to have a rooftop solar system. They're then basically balancing between all their customers who have that um, rooftop generation and the battery using those to, I mean, the, the term people describe it as is a, is a virtual power plant. They mm-hmm. have a virtual power plant amongst these customers, balancing all the energy and essentially 
supplying, making sure they all get enough energy. Obviously, if anything's missing, they can top that by just buying it from from the market. A battery in their in the individual home that has the solar on it, or a centralized battery that's managed by the utility, because we're seeing both of those coming around, right? Yeah. So in this in this case, it's these are batteries that are being deployed in people's homes, and I think. That to me makes a lot of sense because I think the kind of customer today who is likely to be buying a battery is someone who clearly is very engaged with their energy. Probably someone who is not that happy with their utility. I think there is likely to be some kind of relationship between people who are a bit dissatisfied with the status quo. I wonder how much. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, and so they're exactly the kind of customer who you'd expect. If, if you're selling the battery, say, hey, do you also want to start buying electricity from us? They're, they're likely to say yes. How are these companies differentiating one from the other? Because one of the things you identify is that this is a space where you've got a lot of small startups. You've got the incumbents mm-hmm. as well participating, but this note specifically gets into some of the smaller companies. Yeah. When you've got a lot, how do you pick one over the other? Yeah, I mean, I think actually at the moment, that there's kind of a lot in the report. This is a global report. And actually, probably in individual markets, there aren't that many competing with each other. But yeah, I think it, it's probably all little tinkering around the edges like how well does this company's model you know how, how are they doing that if this then that does that integrate with the devices i have in my home some of them do that some of them don't so that's kind of one um differentiation how much how much are they limiting my risk so for example the wholesale pass through some of them it's literally you will pay what the wholesale rate is others say okay we're going to limit the kind of potential downside for you and so there's a cap on how much you can pay per month so there are all of them are slightly different, so there is the potential to differentiate. Um, I think for the most part, though, it's probably who's the company you've heard of in your particular market. Are these acquisition targets by the incumbents? Is that what we're going to see eventually? Or are we going to see many of these different types of startups growing, or are they going to just be features of our incumbent utility? Yeah, that, I think that will be very interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, separately to this, one of the things my team has been doing for a while is tracking investments in distributed energy from originally, we were mainly looking at utilities, but also oil and gas companies, now automakers, industrials, etc. And we're seeing all of those groups increasingly developing products and services around distributed energy, Mm -hmm. selling storage, solar, um, electric vehicle charging, things like that. So there's certainly, that's a trend that's already occurring. It'll be interesting to see whether, as well as in investing in kind of startups selling distributed energy, they now also start investing in some of these startups who kind of directly compete with their core business. I'm not sure yet whether, whether we'll start to see that happen. I do know that a couple of these companies have received minority investment from utilities. And I think, to be honest, that's an element of probably they want to understand the threat. You know, that is a, that these are direct competitors to well, I guess so they also th- want to understand if they can work too, right? right. I mean, a dollar a week you're paying to, to utility or yep. to this provider, all you can eat, right? That could go haywire, yep. who knows? Yeah. So what do you think about the profitability of these features or business models? Yeah, so I am quite skeptical about that. I mean, I think a dollar per week, doesn't leave much room for that company to pay. I'd pay pay two. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd pay a bit more, that's for sure. Um, Doesn't give them much room to cover their costs and make any kind of margin. And I do think one of the things, and I think if I was an incumbent utility, I'd certainly be thinking this justifiably, is that it's all well and good for these companies when they're new, they're very small they don't have kind of the significant overheads that oh, the sure. incumbents are dealing with. And I think it's, you know, a big open question. Will any of these companies be able to kind of work in the way that they, they currently are once they 
scale and get to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of customers, are they, some, are they still going to be able to have these really low prices that they're kind of offering for their service once they've got all of the difficult costs of doing business that a large utility currently has? That sounds like MoviePass. Do you know MoviePass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm well aware. Like they they, they <laughs> priced their movie subscription way too low, yeah. got millions of subscribers in a, like two days, and then they couldn't handle it. Yeah. Right. It was unprofitable at that price point. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. We don't you know, know the, the financial details of these companies. That's it not seems something too early. That, but it's, it's, it's too early, but it does, a dollar a week seems kind of hard to imagine that that hmm. is going to be particularly um, profitable. You know, dollar per week per customer. It's not it's not much money. But um, I mean, generally, electricity retail in, in, in competitive markets is often quite a low margin business anyway. Can you explain what all of that overhead is? Because it's counter to my understanding of economics and that if you're small, every single unit costs a lot to make. Whereas mm. if you're big, theoretically, you're capitalizing on the economies of scale. Yeah. So I think there's two parts. So one, I think, and this will change a lot depending on the market, but I think there are certain regulatory obligations that you kind of only take on once you get to a certain size. But I think it's more kind of around like the billing systems, um, staff, pensions from legacy employees, you know, there's all, mm. all of these kind of things. So I guess the counter argument to what I've said about can these companies be profitable, they would all say, well, we're starting from scratch. We don't have any of that, those legacy issues. We're kind of, I guess, digital native companies who have built this entire service on a modern customer platform. We don't have that. We yeah, all of those kind of legacy issues and old software that we've been using, old customer management systems, and it's all much newer and kind of has lower cost of doing business. So as we scale, yeah, we'll get those economies of scale you alluded to, and we won't be incurring these kind of challenging older costs that are, you know, competitors, or that the incumbents have. I was in a WeWork a few weeks ago, just sitting there doing some stuff, and uh, I heard a guy at the table next to me, and he was clearly a electricity provider. Right. Um, intentionally to start up. I don't know what which one, but yeah. you know, maybe these these people are just operating out of WeWorks. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of what was fun about looking at this is I think, obviously, as a business, we're looking at many of the changes that are happening in the energy sector. And there's, you know, multiple different areas where that's occurring. But it's kind of like the first time really that you see basically startups coming mm -hmm. to the electricity, what is right. has traditionally been viewed as a very boring area. And I think that is part of the fact that, you know, there is an energy transition underway in a number of countries, there's a lot of changes happening. And so there's all these things being shaken up. And so you'd expect to see kind of new new entrants coming to the market. But I also think it's a lot to do, I think we're seeing that in a number of areas. It's like, there's in the UK, for example, there's a number of new banks, right? Like everyone, I mean, I now live in the US, and this is not really occurring in the US. But all of my friends in the UK are using Monzo, um, Revolut or whatever they're called. Yeah, yeah. Revolut, so, coconut, yeah. You know, that's, that's a new thing as well. And I think that's happening in multiple different sectors and basically exactly the same thing is occurring in the electricity market. Is there a company that you feel is pulling out in the lead at least in terms of innovation and brand reputation? Well, one of the most interesting companies, and actually it's kind of one we haven't talked about at all, is there's... Um, and they have a completely different model is one called Arcadia Power, um, and they're in the US. And they essentially act as a middleman rather than an electricity supplier. And what we thought was particularly interesting about their model is that all of the other companies we're looking at, they're just operating in competitive markets where you can choose your electricity supplier. 
Whereas Arcadia Power does that, but it also operates in kind of the regulated, you know, vertically integrated US states where you can't do that. And essentially, that, that so they have two models, basically, depending on where they are. What they do in kind of the competitive places is they basically help you automatically switch onto the lowest um, kind of offering that's in the market and manage the, the billing for you. In the regulator markets where you can't switch, they still do that billing management for you. And so they kind of act as an intermediary between you and the utility. And I think that's really interesting because it unlocks a lot of potential. So firstly, they are now acquiring information about you, about how you use energy and things like that. So <clears throat> that's a great position for them to be in. But they can start offering you technologies. Maybe they've noticed from your energy use that a particular that, that you would benefit from a rooftop solar system. So they can kind of they could sell that to you and potentially do on-bill financing with the payments you're doing for your electricity, um, or they could help connect you with a supplier. And so there's kind of a lot of potential like that. They could even start doing, you know, they could offer you a more interesting and nuanced electricity tariff than the one your utility is actually offering. And they could still pay the utility in the way that the utility is charging, but then you could pay them in a different way. So you know, they could offer you a flat fee. They could do the flat fee model, even though you're not actually on one. So, so they can, they're kind of in quite a unique position to try a lot of different things. And they're essentially bringing this kind of innovation that we're seeing around the, the retail model to markets where there is absolutely no innovation in the retail model. So it's quite fun. Last but not least, what is coming up in your research pipeline? Sure. So the decentralized energy team, which is the DNF team that did this work, covers a lot of different topics. So we it's quite varied, which makes it fun for us. But there's kind of three main areas that we're working on. So one is kind of continuing this stuff around new business models. And one of the big focuses for us is looking at the profitability of kind of energy services for commercial industrial customers. So that's kind of piece of work we're getting underway at the moment. The other part is around virtual power plants. We're currently building essentially a virtual power plant dispatch model to really look at the economics of a virtual power plant. So, you know, if you're aggregating a whole load of batteries or electric vehicles in a certain market, what would the kind of financial profile of that look like? And then the third piece is around the grid and what does it mean for the grid in a world with lots of distributed energy? Both, you know, what does that mean for the technology and what does that mean for investment? And we're currently doing some analysis of kind of the last 25 years of US transmission distribution investment and you know trying to do a very detailed view on what are the fundamental factors that determine how much investment there is and that'll be the first step towards having a, a forward-looking view. James, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as, investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording, and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, 
top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.